I've always loved the feeling of just sinking in and the deep comfort that comes from knowing that you have dozens upon dozens of hours ahead of you to go in persona. Like there's just something oh I really love about feeling like there's no end in sight. <laughs> Oh, see, I'm completely the opposite. I feel I get very overwhelmed starting a game mm. that I know is this long. The prospect of starting a hundred hour game when there's like so many games that I want to play is always so daunting to me. So see, that's exactly why yeah. it's comforting because I'm like, well, can't play them. Got a yeah, hundred hour like, game to get through. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Let's start the episode, as we always do, with our Patreon shoutouts. This is our special thank you to everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier for the month of March. Uh, so that's a very big thank you to Genevieve, Lindsay, Jackie, Ben, Pimhatai, Adiyinka, CD Mess, and two new folks on the list. What? Holy cow. Uh, thank you to Ava and Sammy for <laughs> joining in. Thank you all so much. We really appreciate welcome. your support. Yes, welcome to the Patreon team. <laughs> uh, remember, if you, lovely listener, want to get your name in the credits, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod, where you can subscribe for as little as just $2 a month and get access to our monthly bonus series that we call Co-op Mode. Our April episode is going to be coming soon, uh, but there is literal years worth of content on the patreon platform that you can listen to that you get access to with just that two dollar subscription so please if you like what we do here go over there and check it out Mm -hmm. listen to all the bonus episodes that we've released and let us know what you think about them um and if you're a fan of what we do here on pixel therapy please consider sharing us with your friends and family rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts or even writing into the show by emailing us at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com just like our newest Patreon shout out, Sammy did. Aww, Sammy, Sammy wrote us a really <laughs> lovely email um, that we want to read on the on the podcast right now. And just thank you so much for this email, Sammy. So this is from Sammy. Uh, Sammy writes in and says, Hi, Jamie and Spencer. My name is Sammy, and I'm a non-binary trans woman living in Louisiana. I've been trying to send this email to you for the past couple of months, but I have ADHD, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've been listening to the Pixel Therapy podcast since early 2021. I'm not entirely sure how I found y'all, but I remember the first episode I listened to was the one where Caridwin Lewis and Jude McLaughlin talked about Final Fantasy VII. I instantly fell in love with your thoughts and conversations. That's a good, oldie but a goodie. <laughs> yeah, I've been here for a while. Uh, video games have been with me my entire life. And when I studied the hero's journey in high school, mm. they took on a whole new meaning for me. My teacher wanted my class to break down a movie into the hero's journey formula. But being the nerd I am, I decided to break down a video game that I just beat at the time called Tales of, I think it's Zillia. Hell yeah. Uh, my my teacher was apprehensive about the idea, <laughs> but once I presented it, she was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah, convincing people that video games have great arcs. <laughs> Fuck yeah, Sammy. We're here for that. Um, Since then, I've been through college, and now I'm a working adult. Scary. Yeah, Yeah. it's terrifying. (laughs) 
Uh, I, I currently work as a consultant, but I wish to be a storyteller in the animation industry someday. Pixel therapy reminds me that video games are a form of art that can make a unique connection to each player. Every time I listen to y'all, I feel like I'm just sitting down chatting with some friends and chilling out. This is my favorite parasocial relationship. <laughs> We're honored. Uh, yes, very honored. Of all the parasocial relationships you could choose, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you for choosing us. Uh, Sammy finishes by saying, sorry for the lengthy email. Never be. Never. Sammy, never never be sorry. Uh, but I hope this message lets y'all know that your work is greatly appreciated and meaningful. Until next time, Sammy. Aw, Sammy. Yeah, that was a very lovely email to mm-hmm. receive uh, this past week. And it did get me thinking if I had ever, like, twisted a, a class project and made it about video games. Mm. I don't think I did, at least not in... Uh, in like high school or or elementary or like junior high, like any of the graded levels. I may have done that in college, but honestly, nothing's jumping to mind. But I just in high school and before, I didn't think about video games the same way. Like, yeah, I've talked about this before, but I didn't really start to think of them differently until I played Shadows of the Colossus, Shadow of the Colossus and like, uh, so, like in between my freshman and sophomore year of college. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about you? Did you ever... Did you ever take a class project and make it about a video game? Yeah, that is so, that is so interesting. I I'm racking my brain. I can't um think of I I do I do remember like if anything my art projects like an art class like I would be like basic like they would I would we would be asked to draw an animal and I would draw like a dragon or a pokemon and like mm-hmm. like I would do stuff like that cuz it was always like in my head. But I feel like Similarly to you, my arc was like, it became a form of media that in high school and in college, it um, it moved from just being an escape to also being something that I received as much enrichment from as like reading a really good book or watching a really impactful movie. Like I really sat with those stories and internalized them and, and drew strength and meaning from them. Like I, I specifically feel like I remember like just in the throes of teenage intense emotions and, and life turmoil, like I would turn to games and be like, well, if I can be resilient, just like Link or just like Aloy (laughs) and like, I don't know. I just, I, I I would turn to it in that way. And it, and it Mm -hmm. meant more to me than just like playtime which it also is valid if it's just playtime too but but yeah 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 well anyway I, I just thought it was super cool that uh even in high school Sammy was starting to think about games that yeah. way and that and that they like had the I don't know just the connection to them that they could be like oh hey the hero's journey applies to Tales of Zillia too so mm-hmm. let me talk about that in my class project I thought that was cool yeah bringing so. bringing the culture to the masses Sammy exactly exactly doing doing that work mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah so thank you so much for that email Sammy that was great and this is gonna uh, sustain we were... me for weeks <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely um, but we love to hear from from y'all that are listening so if anyone else has the urge to send us an email either with a personal story or a question that you want us to answer please, please, please do write mm-hmm. in. We'd love to hear from folks. Um, and again, that email address is pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. All right, Spencer, it's time to get cozy, to pull up an armchair. Feel free to lie down on the couch. Let's talk about our feelings. How are you doing today? I'm great. Um, something crazy happened to me, which is oh? that a friend slash 
a previous coworker. Um, I, I helped him out with a thing. Hi, Vinny, if you're listening. <laughs> and he was like, listen, I really want to say thanks for your help. I'm going to send you something. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, you don't have to do that. I'm going to be traveling for work this week. So I'll get it when I get back. But like, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I was thinking like, oh, he'll send flowers or he'll send some candy (laughs) or something. (laughs) I come home and there's a, there's an oblong box sitting on the ground in my, in my entryway. Uh I open it. It is not, it is not marked with anything. I open the box Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there is a mother effing steam deck sitting in the box. (laughs) (laughs) What? That's amazing. Benny, you have just like, you've just ruined any sort of like from now from this point forward and if i help anyone with anything i'm gonna be like i'm sorry (laughs) but my my consultory fee is a steam deck or of something of equal or excessive value (laughs) oh no it's gone straight to their head just kidding just kidding i would never i would never but honestly (laughs) Vinny, like you don't you can't know how excited i am to to fucking get into this thing like Mm -hmm. um Jamie, I, I've been living vicariously through you up until this point with your Steam yeah. Deck, but I I've realized I'm really into handheld gaming. Like I've mm-hmm. I've been favoring the Switch lately. I like the portability. I like just being able to have things close to my face, and so <laughs> I'm uh, really excited to. I, I was joking with Jamie. This is going to be my um, civilization machine because I'm a big yeah. Civ Six, <laughs> Civ Six, and chill type of person. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 gonna download a whole mess of games. I I love that um like Steam is like the first place where a lot of like especially indie games come. Um mm-hmm. and I think the main blocker for me is just not wanting to sit at the same desk where I work to like also play yep. games. And I think this is gonna open a whole new stream for me. A whole new world. Whole new world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so amazing. that happened, well, NBD. Very happy for you. And yeah, wow, Vinny, really just like setting the bar so high for the rest of us. Vinny's, uh, Jamie's <laughs> like, how can I help you? What do you need? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you need, Vinny? Yeah. <laughs> I already have a Steam Deck, but there's some other things. I can yeah. send you a list. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but like, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not uh somebody sent me a Steam Deck uh levels of uh yeah, I'm not on I'm not riding that train. But um no, I'm I'm doing pretty good. Had a good week. Um, went and saw the new Super Mario Bros. Oh my god! Movie yesterday. Yes. Uh, with my partner, and you know it's fine. Okay. <laughs> it's, okay. Like my review, like if we, if you know, three out of five. Like if we're if we're putting a score on it. Hey, that's um not bad. <laughs> there was a lot to like about it. It uh, but I, I think anyone who's paying attention to the reviews sees it's getting really mixed reviews, mm. and I think those are super valid. So like the things that I enjoyed, I really love the animation style, and I like the way they presented the characters. Like I just the movie movie looked beautiful, mm. and the way the characters like like the kinetic movement of things mm. like really pulled a lot from the games like it just feels like everything's constantly moving Mm. platforming jumping like the combat like the way all that is happening on the screen just looks really cool feels uh closely tied to the game while still being an adaptation of it and it was fun 
to watch. The music and score fucking great oh, as cool. well. Yeah. Um, I'm not someone who played a ton of Mario growing up, but I that like that music is such a part of our culture. Like yeah. it's impossible, I think, in a lot of ways not to know the Mario themes and mm-hmm. just so I, I don't know all the little references that exist in the score to all of the different Mario games and the worlds and everything, but the score was great, even not having all of that context, not being a super deep Mario player. There were also a ton of like little nods mm. and references to the games that, again, not even somebody who's played a lot of them, but saw a ton of stuff that was like, oh, I feel like they're they're nodding at this and they're nodding mm. at that like throughout the movie. So all of that was really cool. Um, unfortunately, the plot is just like <laughs> paper thin. Okay. Um, and the opportunities for interpersonal like drama and conflict and like Mm. relationship building between the characters are by and large like they're few and far between and when and like some of them like just doesn't even happen like peach and mario's relationship and like toad as well Mm. like the three of them just immediately get along and like go on a journey together with really no almost no impetus (laughs) it's like very paper thin as to why they're even doing the things that they're doing um the standouts for me in the film actually were donkey kong played by seth rogan and uh bowser bowser steals the show jack Jack black's bowser is so good i could have watched the whole movie with just him on the screen every scene that he's in he steals it um he sings a song in the movie which is the best (laughs) like was so funny is so great it was just like the whole movie if the whole movie had hit what Jack Black and like they were doing with Bowser if the whole movie had gone for that I think it would have been really great Mm. like I would have really walked away loving this movie but unfortunately the stuff with Bowser ends up being like these small moments that Mm. kind of punctuate and like bring the film up rather than the whole movie kind of Mm. feeling it's on that same level um, with what they were doing with Bowser's character so but there was like some actual depth that they brought to Donkey Kong, interestingly. And I believe they're making a Donkey Kong movie next. Oh, so it kind of okay. made me excited to see where that goes. And I actually liked, I really liked uh, Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. Like they introduced some interesting dynamics between him and his dad. Oh, and even wow. like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, and, and Donkey Kong and Mario are the only two characters that have like a, like some interpersonal conflict between them, mm. which actually, like, so their scenes were actually really interesting because of the way they played off of each other. But it's like the rest of the time, it's just like everything else Mario does seems like very smooth as like butter. Like he just isn't mm. met with any resistance or anyone even really questioning him um, in a lot of ways. So anyway. So like what was the meat of the movie? Was it like Mario? It was mostly like just watching a quest unfold more so than seeing character development. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty typical, like, fish-out-of-water kind of story. Uh, You know, Mario and Luigi are plumbers in the real world who've just started a new plumbing business. Um, They're trying to find success with. um, They both live at home. Mm. And there's kind of the, like... Mario's character development is kind of centered in this idea of, like, his family thinks that he, like... And this was a little muddy for me, too. It's like, his family thinks that he's, like, dragging his brother into something... Like, because Luigi mm. always goes along with whatever Mario does. Yeah. So there's this uh, kind of setup in the beginning of like, oh, you're just dragging your brother into something that's going to fail and you should have stayed at your other job and just been successful there instead of trying to break out and do your own thing. But also the movie is kind of like setting up this narrative of like Mario is a person who doesn't know when to quit. Mm. So and those things like those kind of two conflicts, it feels like they didn't quite knit them together super well to give Mario like a clear 
character arc and development. So when the movie ends, it kind of feels like some of that is resolved, but also some of it isn't. And it, you just, it like kind of just got lost somewhere in the middle. Okay. Um, but basically they get sucked into like things happen and they get sucked into a pipe that puts them in the mushroom kingdom. Okay. And in the process of entering the mushroom kingdom and being sucked through the pipes, they get split up and Luigi ends up in the dark lands with Bowser Ah. and Mario ends up (laughs) in the mushroom kingdom with peach. And so Mario ends up like going to princess peach to ask for help and gets enlisted to help her because Bowser's coming to, uh, attack the mushroom kingdom. So they're going to go try to get the help of donkey Kong and his people to fight back against (laughs) Bowser. Like, and and that's it again. It's just like, and then for some reason there's like a Mario Kart scene. It's it's like, it's kind of just like, you know, (laughs) anything to like make the references and stuff happen. And and it all just happens very easily, but it was like a 90 minute movie. It's definitely a kid's movie. It's like, you know, I had fun seeing it. We had fun seeing it. But I think sometimes you see a kid's movie and it's like, oh, adults can like really enjoy this. There's a lot of, you know, rich character development and and interesting plot and stuff going on here. And and there's depth to this. Um, And it didn't it didn't have that depth. It didn't even really have the humor that I was hoping to see. So it ended up being like really pretty to look at, pretty Mm. to listen to with a few fun moments. But overall, not something that I'm Mm. like eager to go see or engage with again. It's funny, Bowser was always my favorite character, like, even as a small child, like, even, like, my first Mario game was Super Mario 64, which was is a very surreal and in ways, like, disturbing and, like, just freaky-ass game where you're Mario, like, jumping into paintings and falling into, like, underworlds, and it was, it's very bleak and, and... And dark, like dark in terms of set, like it has that bit of uncanny valley-ness to it that mm, um, yeah. is looking back on. It's just like kind of creepy. But um, even though Bowser is like so obviously the villain in that game, like it, there isn't much like I, I feel like his character expands a lot in a lot of the handheld titles that came out after, like especially the Superstar Saga games where it's like you and it's really focused on the relationship as brothers that Mario and Luigi have. Um but like in Mario Kart and in Super Smash Brothers, uh, like Bowser was always my character. And I always appreciated the lore of like, is Bowser really that bad? Because like Peach somehow keeps ending up back with him and she's not exactly like suffering. Like it just seems interesting that she he always manages to capture her but never hurts her. And whenever Mario comes to find her, she's just kind of like chilling. Like, is Bowser really <laughs> like like what is so bad about him? Um <laughs> and you know, he has tons of kids, like he's obviously a very active and and encouraging father. Like all of the times <laughs> where you see him uh like in a lot of the Mario Kart games, you can play as a number of his kids, and it always shows him like high-fiving and and like gassing up his own kids. So like clearly <laughs> he's got a lot to offer. Um and so I always felt I always felt like Bowser was like this misunderstood almost kind of like the black sheep of the cast or like the queer the queer cousin you know (laughs) who like no one wants to take the time to understand but actually Mm. is the most interesting and has the most character depth so i love that jack black (laughs) is bowser uh i hope he gets a spin-off as well um (laughs) yeah that'd be great that's great (laughs) yeah 
Yeah. So yeah, that's my take on the the new Super Mario Bros. movie. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about together it's today, not. Spencer. No, <laughs> no. Uh, today we are going to talk about Persona Three Portable, Ugh. which we both played. We sure uh, did. <laughs> specifically, we played the. Uh, this recently got ported. Uh, this is an older game that recently got ported to a whole, basically all the platforms. Um, and I played it on PlayStation. I think you played it on Switch. I or did, are playing yeah. it on Switch? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Persona 3 is part of the Persona series. So before we've talked about Persona 5 um, being a game that we both loved. Uh, so this is an earlier game in the Persona series. It's a turn ba- turn-based role-playing game uh, with social sim and visual novel elements, just like its uh, successor, Persona 5, where he plays a high school student who joins the Specialized Extracurricular Execution Squad, <laughs> I referred to as C's in the game. Um, And that's a team of fellow students who are investigating the mysterious dark hour, this 25th hour of the day that happens between the changing of the days that only a few people are aware of. And during the dark hour, the students uh, fight these monstrous shadows and ultimately uh, make friends, find love and try to save the world. Just typical Mm -hmm. casual persona shit. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to share a little bit of background on this game because Persona 3 Portable is actually the third version of Persona 3 that was released. And um, being the third game in the Persona franchise, it really has an interesting place as being the first Persona game to introduce some of the things that we identify as like key Persona elements Mm. today. So a little bit of background. Um, The Persona series is one of several sub-series that exists within the larger Shin Megami Tensei media franchise, which primarily consists of games that have each have their own standalone narratives and characters, um, but through which there are several recurring elements that bind the series together. These include plot themes that often feature elements of philosophy, religion, occultism, or science fiction, a story shaped by the player's choices, and the ability to fight against and often recruit um, creatures, which are either, uh, in some some of the games, they're demons. In some of the games, like the Persona series, they are personas. Um, and those are recruited to aid the player in, in battle while you're fighting against others of them. So these are kind of like the things that you see in nearly all the Shin Megami Tensei games. And then Persona is a sub-series of that larger franchise. I always felt like the concept of a Persona is so fascinating. Like, there's this idea that, like, these Personas, these demons are aspects like of ourselves Mm -hmm. that maybe we don't like or maybe we hide from society but that without them we really wouldn't be our full selves or like the Mm. truest sense of who we are and by embracing the parts of ourselves that we'd rather push away or hide or pretend don't exist we like achieve our the full our full strength and and like learning Mm -hmm. to love those parts of yourself that maybe others might find scary or that might exude traits like cunning or bloodlust or whatever else that like aren't acceptable in society but that like we as humans all have the capacity for i don't know that's just such Mm -hmm. a cool and to have that manifest physically as like a monster that is like fighting for Mm -hmm. you it's like Holy shit. I don't know. It's cool. Yeah, it's like dark Pokemon where instead of like adorable little monsters, you're like recruiting aspects of your own personality to (laughs) like to help fight with you and for you. And then like your own. Well, I guess the protagonist in these games always like has a plethora of personas that they can use. But Mm -hmm. usually the other 
characters on the team will have like one persona that that kind of embodies their innermost self or like yeah. their core self um, that they may or may not be showing to the world. Um, but part of the games is always like part of a story of those characters embracing that innermost self mm. and letting that become who they are mm-hmm. uh, in public. So, yeah, totally. It's, it's cool. It's a really cool idea. Um, so the original Persona 3 game was released back in 2006. It came to the PS2. And like the rest of the Shimigami Tensei series, the game was developed and published by Atlas. And it was meant to, Persona 3 was actually a, a bit of a spinoff to the first two Persona games, mm. um, which were much more similar to the other SMT series games that came out at the time. So previously, SMT games uh, were including Persona 1 and 2, were were more focused on combat and compendium building. So, like, having a whole compendium full of all the, you know, catch, almost like gotta catch them all kind of vibes. (laughs) Um, But instead you're catching all the demons and adding them to your compendium and and fusing them and and doing other things like that. So Persona 3 was the first one to add elements of social simulation, Mm. which has actually become a key component of the Persona game since then and is kind of like the trademark of the series. Um, in P3, you're actually going through the day-to-day life of a high school student, student, you're making friends, you're joining clubs, and then you're running into dungeons at night to fight shadows. Um, so this structure has become the core backbone of the series, and that got its start in Persona 3. So it's a really cool piece of Persona history uh, when you look at it in that respect. Yeah. Um, so then um, in 2007... Uh, slash 2008, respectively, for the Japan and and U.S. releases, we get Persona 3 FES, um, which the FES, uh, they've said, uh, is in reference to festival, so Persona 3 Festival. And kind of similar to the way we talked before about Persona 5 and Persona 5 Royal, um, this is essentially treated like an expansion or a DLC of the Persona 3 game. It was released as an add-on disc, because, again, this is coming out on PS2, which is just, yeah, throwback, right? Um, So it was an add-on disc to the Persona 3 game. And while it included some updates to the game, uh, including stuff like new personas, weapon crafting, hard mode, uh, and the ability to change your team members' outfits, the biggest update that FES had was the addition of a roughly (laughs) 30-hour... 30 hour <laughs> epilogue chapter oh, called The Answer. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, it was called The Answer that takes place after the year ending of the original P3 game. So, this is also very similar to what we saw with Persona 5 and Persona 5 Royal. You get this like big chunk of extra story that happens after the end of the uh, original in game events. Uh, you get like an entire of- game's worth of content, yeah. and they're well, like, entire normal "Here's game, your right? DLC. It's an entire oh. <laughs> normal game, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> normal. Yeah. Because look, an average runtime for a persona, a persona game is like a hundred hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not even exaggerating. It took two hundred <laughs> hours to complete Persona Five. So, wow. I'm clocking in at yeah. ninety hours on Persona Three Portable. <laughs> Yeah, I I think I ended in like the 80 to 90 range on Persona 3 Portable. So yeah, you you can really really lose a lot of time to these games. <laughs> um so then finally a few more years go by. In 2010-2011, we finally get Persona 3 Portable, which is what Spencer and I played. Granted, we played the port version of it mm-hmm. um, that came out this past January 2023. But the original release, 2010-2011, um, it was a full remake of Persona 3 released for the PlayStation Portable. <laughs> Again, we're talking about PlayStation history here, folks. Yeah. Um, and this version of the game is different than both 
the original Persona 3 and Persona 3 FES. It was a condensed version, included condensed gameplay uh, to make it more suitable to mobile play. So instead of uh, physically moving your character through the kind of human day-to-day world, like in the original game, the non-dungeon sections of P3P play more like a visual novel. So you're like navigating menus um, and highlighting options on a static screen to initiate conversations or travel to different areas, go into storefronts, things like that. And P3P also removed a lot of the anime cutscenes that existed in Persona 3 and FES. And perhaps most notably, it does not include the epilogue, the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not keep that in the portable version of the game. Um, but on the other hand, it did add some things that uh, have been really lauded. So the biggest change is that Persona 3 Portable includes the option to play as a female main character, female protagonist. Um, the original games only had the option to play as a male protagonist. And if you play as a female protagonist, it unlocks new social links with your male team members. And the P3P version of the game also includes several quality of life improvements that make the game feel more modern, um, such as the ability to control all of your teammates in battles, uh, the ability mm. to defend when you're fighting, uh, like put up a guard, uh, more difficulty options, uh, including easier ones, and quick saves, which are all things that did not exist in the original two versions of the game. Bro, I do not know how people manage to finish the game before the time of getting to control all of the characters in your party. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The AI is so bad. I, th- I, kept, I left it great. on at the beginning thinking, oh, this will be nice. I don't have to <laughs> do as much strategy. <laughs> no, they will just <laughs> fuck you up <laughs> in the worst way. So anyone who finished the game in the original format, like power to you because it, yeah. that must have taken you a hundred plus hours on <laughs> yeah couldn't be me could not could not be me um so all of this brings us to you today having played the ported version of persona 3 portable uh unfortunately missing out on the answer uh which neither of us got to experience so i know uh i've read a little bit about it i think you've read even more extensively about it so we have some idea of what uh what that epilogue entails um but yeah, I just wanted to kind of set the scene for like what version of the game we actually played because there there are a lot of versions and a little bit about like where this where this series comes from and where we're at. Um, also, just for some information about like if for folks who are Persona fans, like I have played Persona Five and Persona Five Royal. You've played Persona Five and Persona Five Royal. Mm-hmm. We've both now played Persona Three Portable, but neither of us have played Persona One or Persona Two. Which, honestly, having read more about it, I don't think it's something I would want to go back to. Yeah. Just knowing how focused it is Meh. on the <laughs> combat, which yeah. is not my favorite aspect of the Persona series, and we'll talk more about that soon. Um, and neither of us have played Persona Four or the expanded version of Persona 4, Persona 4 Golden, either. Although in January, when Persona 3 Portable was ported, they also released a ported version of Persona 4 Golden, which is the expanded version of Persona 4. I do intend to play that at some point in the future. I think you do too. Yeah. I need you to say Persona 3 Portable for the PlayStation Portable was ported. (laughs) 10 times fast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'd prefer not to. A lot of popping peas on this microphone. <laughs> it is. Oh my God. Yeah, that's great podcasting. But um, yeah, Golden is definitely on my list. Um, like I need a, I, I definitely need a break to like mm-hmm. just 
have my brain be filled with something other than persona for like a couple <laughs> weeks at least. But I definitely, I've always loved the feeling of just sinking in and the deep comfort that comes from knowing that you have dozens upon dozens of hours ahead of you to go in persona. Like there's just something oh I really love about feeling like there's no end in sight. <laughs> Oh, see, I'm completely the opposite. I feel I get very overwhelmed starting a game Mm. that I know is this long. Um, And I think that probably comes from just my general feeling of like FOMO. I'm so Mm. I'm always listening to the podcasts and watching the Twitters and stuff and staying on top of like what's coming out. And so there's so many games that I'm constantly getting inundated with that. I'm like, oh, that seems cool. I'd love to try that. I'd love to try that. I'd love to try that. So which I'm never, even if I was only playing short games, would never play any of those. But the prospect of starting a hundred hour game when there's like so many games that I want to play is always so daunting to me. So that's exactly why it's comforting because I'm like, well, can't play them. Got a hundred hour game to get through. Sorry. (laughs) Just going to miss out on all that other stuff. Whereas for me, I'm like, well, I've got to somehow I've got to try to do it all. Yeah. yeah, The two sides of our personalities here. Um, But Spencer, uh, now that you've played Persona 3 Portable, mm-hmm. what do you think of it? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely nostalgic. Like, as soon as you get into the game, you're like, oh, yeah, like, this is a game made in 2007 for people living in 2007. Like, it was just the main character is like 2007 Gerard Way, like, got the <laughs> fringe covering one eye, wearing an outfit straight out of like uh you know the emo playbook of like yeah somehow looking like a band teacher fell into a hot topic um, oh my god like <laughs> there's just <laughs> i mean there's a lot of the themes and what cons and like mechanics which we'll get into more are very like speaking to the 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 vice grip that emo subculture had on youth in that time um and it just feels very like nostalgic and like pop punk in like a fun way um and so that was really cool to experience and just be like oh man like i was totally this was me back in my scene era um (laughs) but so there's that i i did feel like too it, it held up really well like in terms of i didn't feel like i was playing a super dated game in terms of I know it was completely rebuilt and that shows um, definitely some of the some of the dialogue and and just the thing like the characterization of people and stuff like some of that felt dated and wouldn't fly in today's um, yeah society. But it's fun to look back back on and be like, LOL, like <laughs> this was so normalized um, back in yeah. 2007. Um, I did feel like with the choice to make like it it the, the the choice to make it translate to at that time um the PSP like i understand um how everything was sort of flattened into these static like painted backgrounds that you would point and click it was very much like a 90s point and click like detective game um mm-hmm. at least for the main areas that you traverse when you're not in the dungeons and i did sort of feel like the least interesting part of the game was made into the only place where you can freely see your character and run around and interact. And that's the, the dungeons called Tartarus. Uh, like Mm -hmm. you're climbing this big tower at night and it's just these like 
completely blank rooms. Like you're in like a maze, mm-hmm. like you're like a rat in a maze and you're running Procedurally around. Procedurally generated too. Procedurally generated. And there's like, there isn't even like, there's nothing. It's just an em- yeah. empty maze. Like there's, there's empty no maze. objects. The only, the only things to interact with are the enemies, yeah. which are characterizes like, even though when you get into the battles, the enemies have different like characterizations to them. The enemies that you actually see wandering the world are characterized as kind of like these oozy blobs right. with arms yeah. and eyes. <laughs> and then uh, t- treasure chests. Yeah. And and you're looking for stairs. <laughs> and there's like treasure chests and portals. And yeah. that's it, kind of. I almost feel like it would have been more fun if they had just made the dungeons like I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess it get, it gets harder to solve for how do you discover more personas, but just like mm-hmm. make that static and make that be like, which door do you want to go in? I click on that one mm. and then I fight and I, I keep progressing through until I make it to the stairs mm. and then have the, the parts where I'm living my daily life as a student, actually exploring different areas of Tokyo, going to different neighborhoods, um, different landmarks like let me run around in those spaces um instead um so i get get what they were trying to do um but it just felt like all of the fun was sort of sucked out of out of it in portable and i still had fun i still felt like you know the the um the visual novel elements uh like getting to i always love um they have this concept of social links where you keep hanging out with certain characters and as you get closer, you learn more about them and um, your relationship evolves. And so all of that was still giving. Like I, I definitely mm-hmm. benefited from the, from the visual novel aspects, but it just felt like, um, like, especially with Persona 3 and onward, like collecting personas is the least important part of the game to me. Like I would, I don't Mm. give a shit about, like there's this whole thing where you're still and even up to Persona 5 Royal where you have a whole compendium you can fill. You can try to, um, there's this this ritual by which you can fuse two or more personas and and make new ones, similarly to how like Pokemon evolve. Like you can kind of create new beings from existing ones. And so there's this expectation that the game clearly has that you would keep starting from lower levels of the dungeon and keep going until you collect every single one and fuse every single one. And that's just not why I play. I play for the all of yep. the things they added in Persona 3. And so, um, I don't know, it just... It's interesting, like, I just, that was something they kept in the, in consecutive games, so it's clear that that was resonating with players who were not just me, um, mm-hmm. but the thing that they wanted me to do was not the thing that I came for, so, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. anyway... What do you think? What did you think? <laughs> uh, yeah, so much of what you're saying uh, resonates for me. I think overall, uh, I'm really glad that I went back to this game. Yeah. I'm excited to. Uh, I'm also. Uh, I beat this game a few weeks ago, and I and I am in the middle of a Persona break, and I do eventually want to come back to Persona Four Golden and and play that uh, just to understand kind of the history and the evolution of this series. And I think story wise, there's a lot of really interesting stuff that these games are doing. And I think on the everything that happens outside of the dungeons in P3 uh, is really really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have my issues with some of the dated aspects of the characterizations and various choices that they make but overall like it was a really good story it was quite grounded and yes. it's really it's dark it's a very dark story um but there's a lot that it's doing that 
I felt, you know, I couldn't help but constantly be comparing the game to Persona 5 yeah. and Persona 5 Royal as that being my like entry point to the series. And I still think if you were going to like ask me, you know, hold me to it and be like, which one of these is do you prefer? Like definitely Persona 5 overall. But there's a lot uh, that this game was doing narratively um, that, that I think was really interesting. And it's really yeah. cool to see it as kind of the first step in this direction for the Persona series. And yeah, I'm interested to see kind of that middle step of what what Golden brought. Mm. Um, but I agree with you that the for me anyway the the combat is the least interesting aspect of these games, mm-hmm. even in Persona Five. And I think this game leans even further into what at the time were like very traditional Shimigami Tensei like aspects of of how these games worked. And I'm sure it's really interesting for some folks, but that's just it's just not why I play these games and I find I found the the grind to mm. get where you needed to with the combat to advance the story uh to be really draining. Yeah. Um and and not particularly fun. Um this definitely became a game where as soon as I went into the dungeon I had a podcast on mm-hmm. um because there's nothing happening narratively in the dungeon. Nothing. Like literally nothing. No dial like there's no, no advancement of plot. <laughs> there's no banter. Um, it's, it's literally just going into fights with a handful of enemies that appear in each section of the dungeon. As soon as you learn each enemy's like weakness, you're literally just kind of doing the same rope motions over and over again to defeat them. Um, I would end up like some of these enemies just would have so much more health than I felt like they needed to have, where it's like, it's like I've solved the puzzle of how to take this out. And then I'm just going through the motions over and over and over again to watch little numbers go up mm-hmm. so that I can have enough health basically to be able to fight the boss and not get one shot. Yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of becomes the whole purpose. And they try to inject other things into the dungeon mechanics. Like people will get kidnapped and brought into Tartarus yeah. and you have to go try to find them and <laughs> things like that. And it spices it up a little bit, but the actual gameplay of doing these things just wasn't, for me, wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. So I kind of agree with your assessment that, like, I think in a perfect world, if instead of porting Persona 3 Portable to modern consoles, because even, you know, this this version of the game is the 2010-2011 version of the game. They made no updates in the port, mm-hmm. really. It was, you know, just took the PlayStation uh, Portable version of the game and released it in more places. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more that goes into a port. I'm not trying to belittle the work that goes into that, but they didn't change gameplay elements. Yeah. This is Persona 3 Portable, the game that came out in 2010 and 2011, in all respects. Um, as much as, you know, maybe they just didn't want a fourth version of this game, <laughs> but it would have been cool to see something that actually, like tried to make more updates Mm -hmm. to it that tried to incorporate the epilogue the fes introduced um but i understand kind of why they did what they did i think this was like a lowest hanging fruit situation of like what's the easiest way we can bring this game to modern consoles and i understand why they picked portable because it does have all those quality of life improvements like trying to play a game trying to play this game yeah without the quick saves or without being Uh, able to control your companions when you're in the dungeon like no i think those would have made it borderline unplayable (laughs) in this day and age (laughs) so so i understand why the and the trade-off for that is that we lose the epilogue um the fes brought but 
overall, I enjoyed the game. I don't think, you know, when you start the game, so I played as the male protagonist. Mm -hmm. Did You did as well, I think. I did as well, um, just because, I don't know why, like, probably a combination of... The game straight up tells you, like... That's true, right. That that's, like, the way you should play it first. Yeah. And I did a little bit of Googling, and, like, that's generally what people on the internet said. So I was like, okay, I'll play as the guy. But, like, after playing this game, there's no way in hell I'm going back and replaying this anytime soon, if ever. (laughs) Um, The amount of combat that you have to grind through in this game is it not worth uh, the... You know, not worth the It needs a new game plus. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But I did, like, I, I'm pretty sure, isn't this, I think I read the, or you told me that this is, like, the only Persona game that allows you to play as a girl. Um, yeah, so I, I can't say definitively about Persona 1 and 2, but I'm fairly certain they don't have the option, and I know Persona 4 and 5 don't. Right. So they it, they tried this with Persona 3 and then have not tried it again. It's weird. Um, it is weird. I agree. Um It'd be great to see Persona 6, like, just launch with that option. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that it's complex. These are big games. But it does seem like a weird thing to introduce in Persona 3 Portable and then never revisit. I feel like it gets into some of the, like, when we alluded to a few minutes ago, some of the characterizations or uh, dialogue being dated, I think this ties into that and why they don't invest uh, in creating um, multiple gender options for the protagonist, which is that the game largely adheres to very binary and Mm. in a lot of ways, like sexist portrayals of both (laughs) boy and girl characters. Um, Mm -hmm. Like when you play as the guy protagonist, you are forced by the game to like you cannot become best friends with any of the girls in your life you mm-hmm. have if you want to progress beyond a certain level of friendship it has to be romance um there are like the way that women characters act towards you like even adults in the game when you choose to be the boy protagonist are like there's a lot of there's like this inherent romantic aspect like teachers, older women you meet at the beach, like just people around. There's there's this uh, persistent like romantic edge to everything that mm-hmm. is almost kind of like, I'm like 16, right? Like what is going on here? Like it's like the game yep. lives in a world where it's normalized that you as the protagonist are going to get sexualized by everybody. Um and it's something that is that is and that there's like there's no such th- there's almost no such thing as a relation a deep relationship with a person of the opposite uh gender that isn't sexual yeah. like yeah anything more than surface level like uh, uh oh shit what's the word i'm looking for um it's gone the word that starts with an a uh like uh people that acquaintances (laughs) and yeah anything deeper than a surface level acquaintance uh with a person of the opposite gender is romantic yeah uh, and and can't be anything else yeah which is such a weird i mean uh, yeah people that wasn't 
Is that what people thought in 2010, 2011? I don't know if it's what everyone thought, but I think, I mean, I'm sure that there are dominant cultural standards that come into play. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make a sweeping statement that like, Oh, in Japanese culture, women are like this and men are like that. I think just like any other form of media, um, there are a small group of people who are defining the narrative and they have a Mm. worldview that makes it through into the characters. Um, I do think there's some nuance in the sense that persona does have a very like heady, a collection of themes that it's trying to tackle. And a lot of Mm -hmm. that boils down to like base human cruelties or desires that aren't acceptable. And like the fact that deep down, um, like what does society at large, like, what do we owe to each other? Like, what do we feel about each other? How would we act if we didn't have the framework of society kind of telling us the rules? And it does feel like interactions, especially between adults and young people, because you are teenagers in each of the games, it almost sort of exacerbates the way like showing that ad- adults aren't any more evolved or any more right mm. or any more good um, than kids. And if anything, it's it tries to illustrate that adults are wrong when they tell you like, oh, you're too young to understand or you'll understand when you're older. Like it, it does show that like um, – Kids go through trauma. Kids can can move past trauma. Kids can save the world. Like, like I almost feel mm-hmm. like the the interactions are intense and inappropriate on purpose to illustrate that point. But it mm-hmm. it also just like I don't know. There's there's this there's this tension of like the game is saying like, hey, like um, you know you as a youth are empowered, like you can fight back, like this is wrong. Um, and society is fucked up. But on the other hand, it also does things like, Hey, you can go to this control room and watch secret recordings that have been (laughs) happening in the dorm of the girls in your dorm, like taking showers and talking about boys. It's like, he, he, so it's like, okay, like (laughs) what? It's like a whole mix of things. And so I just feel like it has to be approached with a level of like, just letting go of, <laughs> of <laughs> your morals. I don't know. I don't know. It's a like lot. you have to let go of your morals to enjoy it. I, I don't no, know. It's uh, no. You it, I, you say. It, <laughs> no, I, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, there's aspects of this that exist even into Persona Five. Like yes. And at the same time, I think this game has a lot more stuff that feels in conflict with each other, uncomfortable. Uh, There's a lot of different words I think you could pull for that. Um, And I don't know. Yeah, some of that is a testament to the time period, the culture that it's come from, and even just the culture around video games. Like how much of the developer's choice to make the primary motive for interacting with women characters being romance. Mm. How much of that is them assuming who the player is going to be and what they're going to want mm. out of that experience too, right? Like there's a lot that goes into that and and why that translates. And at the same time, the game can have all of those elements and still have like really interesting, deeply developed like women characters yeah. in the game. Um, like one of my favorite 
characters in the game is uh the like it is the person that i ended up like romancing and who like i think canonically is like who the the player character dated like in my head canon <laughs> um but yukari one of your teammates mm-hmm. like i thought she was such an interesting and complex character i mean you're kind of de facto leader in the game mitsuru is really deep and interesting and if you get to know her um has has a really complicated backstory like these characters are like well personified in the game. They're yeah. well acted. They're well written. They're they're deep and interesting. And then at the same time, the game can kind of pull out the rug out from under you a little bit in terms of seeing these characters as like complete and full humans and and do like what you're talking about, where it's like, oh, suddenly, uh, you know, here's this this camera that was placed in their rooms without their knowledge mm-hmm. caught this footage and oh isn't it it's so funny that you can see you know the game doesn't actually show you them naked mm-hmm. but even just alluding to the fact that like that's what they're there for is for you to take to have enjoyment at the idea the titillating idea of seeing them naked uh definitely kind of undercuts all of that deep character development and i think there is an aspect of trying to hold both of those things when you're playing a game like when you're playing this game, it happens, I think, anytime you engage with older media. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's nothing that's surprising considering that we still live in a world where, what is it, the latest Final Fantasy remake is coming under fire because the women uh, in the remastered version aren't as sexy as they were in the last mm-hmm. one and all the gamers are up in arms. Yep. We're still having conversations about why does this armor breastplate need nipples on it? Why does this armor breastplate mm-hmm. need to have two boob <laughs> shapes on it? Like, yep. that's the world we live in and that's the world that Persona was made into. And so, yeah, yep. I think um, just a lot to parse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, But absolutely, exactly. like, I think you mentioned Yukari, um, yeah, like that's that's a great point. I I think the the characters are like the more you get to know them, you are struck by the feeling of like like I identified a lot with Yukari because um like she seems like a you know on the surface like popular girl like has everything going her way um is unattainable and out of your league like you have to reach a certain level of charm one of your stats that mm-hmm. you build um to be able to even hang out with her um and then the more you do you realize like hey like she's had to parent herself she's been put in a position where she's neglected and ignored she um keeps a lot she compartmentalizes a lot and she um like i don't know it's like it's very um nuanced and the characters mm-hmm. do have very interesting and compelling backstories um and they aren't treated even though like there might be silly scenes like that where they're trivialized um mm-hmm. at the same time all of the uh women characters that you interact with are also uh, full rich people themselves so it's like the game is doing both somehow <laughs> yeah yeah yep yeah definitely um but we kind of jumped jumped in there a bit with the the characterization stuff uh i feel like we should talk a little bit about the story especially yeah. because i think um the themes and story in this game are uh really really good but also way darker than we see in persona 5 yeah. um and later entries of the persona series and and from what i've read it sounds like this is kind of a, a standout um in this game i i pulled a 
pulled a quote from Polygon uh, from a piece by Chelsea Stark called Persona 3 Portable is Messy, Weird, and Lovable on Modern Platforms. <laughs> and Chelsea writes, Persona 3 Portable tells the darkest story in the modern Persona franchise. Yes, Persona 4 follows a murder mystery, but there is plenty of levity and humor. Persona 3, however, assails me with death at every turn. Every student has a terribly tragic past. Many are orphans or have rocky relationships with their parents if they are alive. And most of the social links I spend my afternoons and evenings developing involve tragic figures struggling through depression. Mm. Um, and that, yeah, it's death at every turn mm-hmm. is exactly what this game feels like in a way that is both, I think both speaks to that kind of emo um, <laughs> like vibe yeah. that you were articulating earlier. Um, and that's like almost, it's like almost too much it, to the point of like feeling almost false. And yet there's still like this, uh, this some, something about the way everything is so dark that death is kind of undercutting everything that so many of the characters uh, that you in, interact with are struggling with depression. I mean, one of the main um things that's happening to the world in the game is that people are coming down with ap- what's been dubbed apathy syndrome, mm-hmm. which essentially just sounds like extreme depression. Um, those that suffer from apathy syndrome have a quote unquote debilitating level of apathy. They're wandering. A- they wander aimlessly through town, almost zombified. And what yeah. you eventually learn is that these folks have had their, their soul or their psyche kind of devoured by the shadows with the personas, the demons, mm-hmm. um, however you want to kind of characterize them. And that's what your, your players are fighting against to end the dark hour, to end the apathy syndrome that's taking over uh, the, the world that's in, infecting so many people. Yeah. Uh, so you're kind of like fighting against this darkness, this depression. Um, yeah. Like to that point, it feels like this game really has a, futileness that overshadows it that that really compounds the darkness that it's dealing with like I I feel like in in Persona 5 at least that's my frame of reference um there's a hopefulness over undercutting everything there's this Mm -hmm. promise that we're all working towards something together and that when we work together there's nothing we can't achieve like very classic like JRPG um (laughs) like thrust and in this game Mm -hmm. I mean even the setup of the narrative is like all of these students are coming together unified by this goal to eradicate the shadows which will then save the world they think um and as they progress they realize the more shadows they defeat um paradoxically the more um people are coming down with this apathy syndrome, the worse it's getting, the worse it's getting. And then you finally realize that like, there is no happy ending coming. Like um, Mm -hmm. not to, to not specifically like totally spoil things, but like there is no hope at the end of this game. Um, Death as it is in real life is inevitable. And this game Mm -hmm. doesn't try to shy away from that or, bring in some like hopeful, you know, deus ex machina, like resolution, like it's just like true. And it sits really heavily because, um, mm-hmm. you're, I, I, for me, it really struck me over and over again that these are kids, like mm-hmm. they are very earnestly like working together towards a goal and to just have that ripped away from them goes against like anything we learn from storytelling as well as Mm -hmm. like the specific kind of storytelling that we've come to love from JRPGs, which are very much like let's band together and fight God and everything will be fine. Like, um, 
this takes all of that away. And yeah, I, I think it really sets it apart as like a really dark entry in the series. Um, but again, I think it ties into some of the um, philosophical occult, uh, like kind of like very heady themes that it's trying to talk about and tackle. Um, I was coming across some, some, some quotes myself. Um, there was a piece uh, written by Willow Rowe for Inverse um, talking about how 15 years later, um, the ending, the most bold ending uh, that says, sorry, <laughs> the title of the article is 15 years later, the boldest video game ending ever still holds up. Um, mm. And in this piece, um, Willa brings up um, Albert Camus, who uh, was a philosopher who wrote a lot about death and how in a lot of ways um, we as humans um, yearn for death. And one of the quotes that Willa includes um, in their piece was in his essay, The Myth of Sisyphus, Camus postulated that the reality of life is enough to drive anyone to end their existence. It is only through looking death in the face and understanding the absurdity of hope and joy that one may continue to live. Um, and I really think um, this game really explores that um, that tension that like death is truly absurd. The idea that someone could just be gone um, is like impossible for any of us to wrap our minds around. And yet like the reality of being alive is also full of endless suffering and can be impossible for us to wrap our minds around. I think anyone who <laughs> also identifies as trans or queer or as a PSC, at least in America can like, you know, any, every day it feels like, especially now is a practice of like not looking <laughs> too hard at the reality of what's going on around me in order to not break down into tears and not make it through the mm. day. Like a lot of life is looking in the face of extreme suffering and choosing to continue. Um, and I, and I really mm -hmm. think this game for all of its darkness, there is validation and kind of relief in that, in, in, mm -hmm. in that, in someone else recognizing that, yes, like there is no pretending like, Life is hard. The world is hard. Um, and that's true. Um, so it is giving that. <laughs> I, I did a bit <laughs> more reading um, just because when I was reading a bit about um, Albert Camus, I was like, oh, my gosh, so much of this is resonating. Um, I found another quote by um, this person, Alan Emmons, who is an author. Um, he actually wrote a book about like crime scene cleaners. And I, I didn't read the oh. book, but that's where this book, uh, <laughs> that's where this quote uh, comes from. And I just thought it, it knitted together some of these um, ideas really well. So I wanted to read it. Um, mm -hmm. So Emmons writes, Freud wrote that as humans, we are driven by two conflicting fundamental desires. The life drive, which concerns itself with survival, reproduction, hunger, thirst, sex, and then the death drive. The death drive represents an intrinsic urge in all of us to return to a state of calm, to an inorganic or dead state. The death drive moves us towards extreme pleasure, which in Freud's opinion is a state of nothingness. It's the result of a complete reduction in stimuli, the state a body enters after having been exposed to extremity. Pushed by chaos and noise, sought out by our own desires, any one of us could make the leap to calmer waters. Any one of us is capable of suicide and actually has a built-in desire for the peace it would bring. Mm. 
So we mentioned suicide because um, that's actually like a another like big theme of the game. Um, mm-hmm. In order to access their powers, um, these kids use a tool called an evoker, which looks like a gun <laughs> and Ooh, yeah. walks like a gun. <laughs> but um, when they hold it to their head and pull the trigger, it does some kind of metaphysical uh, interaction that allows their persona to come forward and come out of, mm-hmm. come out of their, the sea of their soul as the game puts mm-hmm. it. And um, it's like, at first I was like, Oh my God, like I have to watch this over and over again. Like what the fuck? Over and over, over, and again. over again. Like, <laughs> talking about the grinding, like you will see imagery of a young person yeah. putting a gun to their head and pulling their trigger like thousands of times yes to like play this game all the way through absolutely and this game is absolutely dancing on that edge playing on that edge of like this argument that as humans we in a lot of ways crave death and um camu in a lot of his writing talks about how people um they often think about the idea of their own suicide, even if they don't intend to carry it out, just to experience the bliss of the release from mm. from the suffering of life. Um, and it's a choice. It's a more difficult choice to choose to keep on living. And mm-hmm. so when I think about that and then look at the game and experience those scenes, I'm like, this is absolutely what this game is exploring and playing out in front of our eyes. Um, and I guess like in some ways it's like, I mean, this is a game that's probably for (laughs) like teenagers and kind Mm -hmm. of like younger people. And I do think that there's something really interesting about taking what is very, you know, difficult philosophical ideas that you might find in a, graduate level course in philosophy, something that not many people have the opportunity to access in their lives and distilling it into something that you can play and interact with and kind of approach in a different way. I do think that that's um, really valuable and cool. And while I absolutely feel like there are plenty of content and trigger warnings uh, that need to be uh, get out of like spoken before someone chooses to engage with this game. Mm -hmm. I also feel like, it's not um it, it's attempting to tackle very difficult and very complex philosophical ideas and present it in a way that's accessible to a lot more people and and even quote unquote fun to interact with and so i do respect mm-hmm. that um there was one more quote from camus um that i found in, in some of my own supplemental reading um it's from his essay a happy death and he writes should i kill myself or have a cup of coffee in the end one needs more courage to live than to kill himself um Mm. and so like yeah like even those those moments of respite where like as me someone who struggles with major depression um i absolutely feel like i have weeks where like i said i i have to work to see the reason to get up i have to work to and maybe i don't see a reason that day maybe it's just survival and that's my goal for the day. Um, and then those other days where I'm just sitting and enjoying a cup of coffee or I'm sitting with my my cat or dog or I'm watching The Office with my partner, like that's a triumph um, because I'm choosing to enjoy that in a world which is intent on taking that away from me. Um, so I'm crying now. 
<laughs> no, I think that's what makes Persona 3 and the story and the characterization so special and so distinct from the optimism of Persona 5. And, you know, it's been a while now since I played Persona 5, so I don't want to do any injustice to that story, mm-hmm. and particularly Royal. I know there were aspects of that, that that got dark, that got very, like, serious and, and was dealing with some of this, but there in persona three like the way the characters are actively wrestling with this i mean again we're trying to avoid like any real specific spoilers but as with all of our conversations we are going to like spoil some themes and and you know we have to talk about the game to talk about the game Mm -hmm. but like there's a whole section of the game where all the whole team actually and i think this actually happens a couple of times the whole team gets pretty depressed about something that has happened and like because of the length of time that the persona get like the persona games literally you play every calendar day over the course of like a year or so mm-hmm. uh depending you know each of the games has a different time frame but you are playing every every single day ticks off on the calendar you're not getting time jumps and so something happens it impacts the team and it takes weeks to a month for everyone to come back to from that to grow from that to like come up with new resolve on the other side of that and that feels really grounding and uh, compared to the way a lot of media handle stories where we get a lot of that cut out mm. like we don't or it's a scene right mm. like think of most movies or television shows like <laughs> the or i mean even thinking back to the super mario bros <laughs> that i just saw this weekend right like yeah. like mario's lowest point this is a part of storytelling <laughs> characters have their lowest point and usually it is a scene and then the character overcomes the obstacle and we get the resolution and boom and actually even in like traditional script writing the for you know the previous at that final act mm-hmm. is the lowest point is a scene resolution is a scene mm-hmm. and then we're done like that third act is really like tight where all that growth and shit happens and we see it play out it's so tight and the fact that the persona games actually let all of that breathe and the fact that p3 more so than what i experienced in p5 is doing that in a really realistic way where i, I actually believe that these characters are grappling with this in yeah. the way that real teens would and so it makes where they land when they do find their resolve when they do have their moment of coming back to themselves or deciding that they do want to fight it feels really earned because you watch what they went through Mm. and what they went through is fucking hard but you believe how they've gotten to the point that they are like that it doesn't feel uh you know, glossed over or anything or sugar-coated it feels like they really went through it and have come through on the other side of it and mm. so for as like ridiculous as the evoker is or like how inundated you get with that that suicidal imagery of them shooting themselves in the head the idea that it is in the face of death mm. that we can find our truest selves to fight back with is i think a really poignant one oh yeah that they're doing with a really kind of silly animation that's a beautiful um, observation i love that yeah um but but I, for me that's that's what makes this game so special. It makes the story really good. And mm-hmm. honestly, if I could experience that as a visual novel, like if we could just get this package, it's like a visual novel that allows you to make friends with these characters. Like if we could just separate the dungeon yeah. stuff out yeah. and like let that just be a cutscene that happens. Like <laughs> I think uh, it would be so much easier for me to recommend this game for folks to play and and it would be something that I'd be more willing to come back to and, and try again. Um, mm-hmm. And the game... You know, I don't want to 
uh, pull us down another tangent, but like so many of the social links in this game, uh, this game does an interesting thing with the social links that, that I want to talk about for a minute um, that I didn't experience with Persona 5. With Persona 5, nearly all of the characters... so. Let me back up one second. In the Persona series, you form, I think you were talking about this a little bit ago, but you form friendships basically with various characters in the game and they create these things called social links that actually have like a rank up Mm -hmm. system. So you have like, uh, you rank numbers one through 10 and each person that you can form a social link with the game, within the game is represented by uh, like a member of the Arcana, like the Tarot Mm -hmm. Arcana. And by ranking those relationships up, you actually get benefits in the the combat and the persona fusion side of the mm-hmm. game as well. So it all kind of ties together. So you are rewarded for in the normal day to day human life, hanging out with people, ranking up those social links and then getting combat uh, and dungeon rewards for that. It's a little different how all of that works in each of the Persona games, but like that is a thing that Persona 3 introduced and, and became a core part of the, the franchise. Um, so the social links that you have available to you in Persona 3, I felt more in Persona 5, everyone that I was introduced to that I had the option to hang out with, well, like per, almost everyone, I immediately like liked them to mm, some degree. Mm. I think the characters, characters in Persona 5 are by and large, outside of like maybe one or two that I can think of, likable and interesting from the outset. I'm immediately like, oh, like, I like you. I want to spend more time with you. I felt almost the opposite (laughs) in Persona 3, where nearly every character that I could socialize with, my initial couple interactions with them, I did not like them. Mm There are, you know, there were some, there's some standouts and I think the members of your team are one of the, a lot of the teammates that you can hang out with there. I'm already invested. We're teammates. Um, there's the old couple at the bookstore <laughs> that I was just immediately smitten with. I'm like, yes, I would like to hang out with my grandparents, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my book grandparents, <laughs> bookstore grandparents. Um, but a lot of the other ones, you know, you have a friend in your class that you can hang out with named Kenji and like, I fucking Fuck did not <laughs> like him at all. Uh, but if you stick with the relationships and if you play through them, all these characters have like none of I didn't feel like any of my time was wasted with any of those mm-hmm. social links. It was always a really interesting uh, journey that I went on with each of those characters yeah. and they grew in really interesting ways that I often wasn't expecting. Yeah. You know, Kenji's kind of like this horn dog like <laughs> shithead and by the end of it like you kind of learn like how much of that is rooted in him just being insecure and he kind of comes around on the other side of himself and and realizes that he's kind of like a shallow piece of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> not to spoil his little arc, but that you know <laughs> was not expecting that. <laughs> um there uh, was this amazing character. Did you hang out with um the guy at the, the park? Guy. Oh, the guy at the park. No. Do you know who I'm talking about? The guy who the guy who tries to take your money and invest it in schemes. Oh God, no, no! I did hang out with President Tanaka. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that who that is? Yeah, <laughs> the guy who runs the like shady deal, like basically QVC yeah. channel. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not who I'm talking about. Um, hold on, let me find his name. Uh, social links. Akinari. No. Uh, so Akinari is a young man who is 
like who's dying. Mm -hmm. He has a, a terminal disease and you can hang out with him in this park. And he starts out being kind of like very standoffish to you and mm. doesn't really want to hang out with you. Um, but if you keep coming back, uh, you work through this, this whole story with him where he's basically trying to understand the meaning of his life mm. in the context of he's like 18 years old and is going to probably die within the next year. Mm. Um, it, it, yeah, it was just like every social link that I, that I encountered, I got like this really beautiful slice of life story with these characters who were processing by and large processing something dark or trying to come overcome, um, like a growth point for them or a negative aspect. And that all felt, even though I didn't always enjoy my time with those characters, mm -hmm. like Kenji <laughs> being a particular shout out, yeah. it did feel more, um, more realistic yeah. than I feel like some of the relationships in Persona 5 where it felt like I was a little bit more like trying to game the system or yeah. trying to become better friends with them or just up the the things. And with these conversations with these characters, a lot of times the stuff that will advance the relationship, I didn't want to say to them because right. I disagreed with, mm -hmm. especially in the early interactions. Like we started out with Kenji. I literally ignored Kenji for like several months. I, <laughs> he kept trying to ask me to hang out with him. I was like, no, yeah. dude, like you suck. I can't get it. And like he would be talking to me and he'd be like, oh, don't you think this teacher's into me? And I'd be like, no, like you yeah. have, you know, dialogue yeah. choices that are like, oh, yeah, definitely. Like you can encourage Kenji. And if you encourage him, he'll be better friends with you. But I'd just be like, no, man, like you're delusional. Mm -hmm. Like She's not into you. Uh, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting the way it kind of like let you have a little more conflict with the characters yeah. and made that a little crunchier. Like it wasn't such a it wasn't so easy to like the characters in this game, but you still got a really rewarding story out of engaging with them, which totally. felt more true to life. Like you don't immediately love everybody uh, that you meet. Yeah. I don't know. Did you have any standouts in the social links that you wanted to talk about? Um, the track, the track star. Um, oh, Yeah. Kazushi? Yeah, Kazushi. I loved him because, like, especially at first, cl like, classic example for me of someone who, like, he was very, like, he had this injury and the the dialogue options that would get you closer to him would be saying things like, suck it up or, like, you're just mm -hmm. trying to skip practice. Or when I wanted to be like, hey, like, it's okay. Like, do you need <laughs> it's okay help? To take some time off. <laughs> yeah. And, like, um... But by the end, you know, I was able to learn that he was pushing himself to try to um, I think he had a, a young a nephew that he was trying to show that, like, um, you know, that he could achieve anything and that uh, he wanted to make his family proud. And and it wasn't until he let himself be helped by his teammates, by the coaches, uh, even like letting his his own family when he realized he could open up to them and that they weren't going to reject him or tell him he was a failure. Um like we got to see that growth and I, and I really felt close to the character by the end. And, and I absolutely like everything you're saying is such a great point that you're bringing up. Like, I definitely feel like in persona five, there's the protagonist syndrome where like everyone is falling over themselves mm -hmm. to get to hang out with you. And you just feel like a rock star all the time. And the world revolves <laughs> around you. Yeah. Um, but in this game, yeah, like, like everything else, it just felt a lot more real. Um, and it reminded you that like, um, just because you aren't being fawned over by someone or just because it may take time for them to open up and for you to get close, it doesn't mean that the time is wasted or that you're not learning something from the interaction. Um, and yeah, it was it was healthy, I think, just to, I don't know, it's like, 
I don't know, games like <laughs> like like obviously it's a game. We're playing it for fun, but I'm just yeah, saying yeah. like this idea that like, oh, all social interactions should be easy and should cater to your needs um is not representative of real life. And I did appreciate the way that the game uh let you dislike people and didn't make a judgment on that. Like just because you didn't like them doesn't mean that they're bad people, which I think is a mm-hmm. an equivocation that a lot of other games might make. Yeah. And I think in that same vein of like avoiding protagonist syndrome, um, something that I just thought was really interesting that I don't think we get as much of in Persona 5 is the way your teammates and other characters have interactions that you're not a part of. Yeah. Like, and and have like fully dynamic relationships separate from you. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll get cutscenes like visual novel scenes playing out. Where, you know, Mitsuru and Akahiko, um, two of like kind of like basically you're like team leaders and they're the the oldest members of the C's team. They're seniors in mm-hmm. high school. Um, they have been doing this for a lot longer than everybody else. They have they're in class together. They're in the same grade. They have a whole relationship that you're not a part of directly as the protagonist and you see them interact and they have a way of understanding and interacting with each other that you're not a part of. Mm. They have another friend who used to be part of the group that they interact with and you're not really a part of that. Uh, that doesn't happen in Persona 5. Again, everything kind of revolves around the protagonist in Persona 5 and you're you're the key central like thing that has brought all of these people together. Mm. And in Persona 3, like you're joining a team that already exists. Mm. These people already have a dynamic with each other and they have relationships outside of the group that you're you're not a part of that aren't just a part of advancing their story that are like actually meaningful to them and and ways that they interact at school that's separate from the c's group and i I thought that was really interesting it'd be cool to see persona i I do think there's a lot in terms of the storytelling aspects of persona 3 and the thematics of persona 3 that would be really cool to see brought back into the series having experienced persona 5 because in some ways like persona 5 is it's like they've smoothed a lot of those rough edges down mm-hmm. to make it more palatable, mm-hmm. but in some ways that also makes it less grounded and interesting. Hundred um, percent. Despite my love of Persona Five, yeah. Um, so, do you have any final thoughts about Persona Three? Should do you recommend people check this game out? I think if you are completely new to the Persona series, that it might behoove you to start with Persona Five Royal because mm-hmm. I think it's the most stylize the most uh fun and just like quality of life improved like it just it's so bringing so much to the series and it was such a phenomenon that i like i just really feel like it's the best place to start but if you get through that and you're like i want to go deeper (laughs) or Mm -hmm. you feel ready to kind of like uh, look at some themes that might be harder to grapple with, or you just want to explore the series a bit more, then I definitely think Persona 3 is the next place to go for just really getting a full picture of everything that this series is trying to talk about. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I really enjoyed my time with Persona 3, and I think if you're someone who has played Persona 5 and has any interest in going back, give it a try. I mean, be prepared with the things, like I said, like there are gameplay elements of this game, and as we've said, there's characterizations and narrative elements that haven't aged quite too well, and definitely be 
aware of that content warning. Like, I'm pretty sure you see the first uh, image of a teenager putting a gun to their head within, like, the very first cutscene of the game. Like, it's, it is there. Um, and so, you know, this might not be for everyone. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're looking for an entry point into the Persona series, I don't think Persona 3 is the place to start. I don't think you really lose anything by playing these games out of chronolo- chronological order. No. Again, they're all pretty standalone stories. So start with Persona 5 um, because that is the most accessible. Uh, it's a lot of fun and it's still a really good game. Like yeah. uh, the things that I wish that it, the series had carried forward in terms of some of the like the way characters interact with each other. I wasn't missing those when mm-hmm. I played Persona 5. There's so much enjoyable about Persona 5, and it's so much easier to get into and enjoy. And so there's, it's just so much more dynamic and yeah. vibrant. It really leans into that social sim side of the game. Yeah. Um, but as someone who has a deep appreciation and love for Persona 5 to come back to Persona 3, it was really cool to see where this all started and get like a really surprisingly deep and and thoughtful narrative with some characters that I really came to love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Time is <laughs> up for today's session of Pixel Therapy. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you want more Pixel Therapy, come check us out at patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod, where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just $2 a month. Plus, get opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following us on Twitter and Instagram at Pixel Therapy Pod. That stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. Um, This week, I want to tell y'all about Walkout to Learn. Um, So on April 21st, (laughs) on April 21st, um, Floridian high school and college students are planning a massive walkout of class to reclaim their rights. Um, Black, queer, trans, and female identifying people and their histories are currently the target of government censorship, and students are pushing back against the government's authoritarian takeover of public education education. Walkout to Learn is coordinating student walkouts across the state of Florida, where students plan to join together, register to vote, and receive five-minute band history lessons from one of their peers who will have been trained to deliver the lesson by Harvard educators. Um, To learn more, get involved with organizing, donate, or even just spread the word within your own social network, visit walkouttolearn.org. That's walkout, the number two, learn.org. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Therapy. Therapy. (laughs) Bye-bye.